before turning with me to Judges chapter 1, if you would look at with me once again Romans chapter 15. In our studies of the Old Testament Scriptures, we've mentioned this passage so many times. And let me just say before we turn to Judges, when reading and studying Judges chapter 1, it becomes very apparent that very much of chapter 1 in Judges is a repeat of Israel's victories found in the book of Joshua. And us just coming... Are we getting through with the book of Joshua? Some of these things will be very familiar to you. But let me say that when this repetition occurs in the Word of God, we can always be assured that it has something to do with what Paul is referring to right here in Romans chapter 15, verse 4 in particular. He writes, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning. They were written for our understanding. These things were written, these things that were written, excuse me, aforetime apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all things written in the Old Testament Scriptures have to do with our faith in Him. They're written for our instruction. That's what learning is. It's instruction. And verse 4 continues and says that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures which are about Christ, we, that we might have hope. Yes, that the, the only hope that we have is in Christ. The purpose of the Scriptures is to impart hope unto the child of God that puts their trust in Him. These things in Judges chapter 1 should give us great hope because they're about Him. And, you know, we've never found, I don't suppose, the true revelation of any Scripture till we've seen Christ in it. Because it's all about Him. It's a hymn book. We say that often. Now, this repeating of Israel's victories is so important because they teach us of Christ and the comfort that we have in Him alone. And look what Paul says here in verse 5 and 6 of Romans 15. He says, now the God of patience. Now that word patience there means endurance. Our God is a God of endurance. Um, as we say in Kentucky, stickability. <laughs> he's a God of stickability. And He's a God of consolation. He's a God of comfort. That's what the word means. May He grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, believers are not just of the same opinion, though we are, but we're in harmony in the comfort that we have in Christ. And that's how we comfort one another with the Scriptures. Because our comfort's in the same one. It's in the same Savior, the same substitute the same sacrifice that God has provided for us. And that's my desire and prayer for our study tonight, that we may hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And then the Scripture says, for He is faithful that promise. Aren't you glad that your Savior is a faithful 
Savior. Not only is he faithful, but he's willing and he's able, he's capable of doing everything that he's promised. He is faithful that promised. Okay, you can go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 1. And while you're turning, let me say that in our first two studies here in the book of Judges, we find Judah by the will and the purpose and appointment of God going up to fight for His people. The people have lost Joshua and they say, who shall go up for us? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Judah shall go up. I have delivered it into His hand. How glorious is it that Judah's victory was sure for that reason alone. The Lord had delivered the enemy into His hand. The children of God are always victorious for the same reason. And our story and message is always the same. I know that some grow tired of hearing it, but the child of God never, never grows tired of hearing about what Christ has done for them. Christ, the finished, He finished the work of our redemption and the putting away of our enemies. Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as we just read. And in the sovereign providence of God, and in time, Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay the debt of His elect people. And this is where we find peace and rest and eternal assurance in the words of our Lord from the cross when He said, it is finished. Because it is finished. And because He finished it is for certain. And that is proven in fact that the Lord raised Him from the dead and He now sits at the right hand of God. God accepted His work and He accepted us in Christ the Beloved. And that's the Gospel. That's the good news. It's a very simple message. Okay. What a picture we have of this victory that's been accomplished for us. And we see it very well here in verse 7 where Adonai Bezek, the false Messiah, you remember, his name means the Lord of light. He's brought to Jerusalem where he died. And I was thinking more about that this week. God will amputate all the thumbs and big toes of every false Messiah who endeavors to take for themselves the glory that belongs to the true anointed Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every idol and false Savior God will destroy just like God did old Dagon. You remember that in the temple of the Philistines? Every false idol will be broken to pieces in the presence of God's ark the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet men will continue to pat, pick them up and patch them up and, and put them, set them back up and, and, and worship them again and again only for them to be knocked down again and again and broken to pieces. I repeat, every man that for himself takes the glory which belongs to God alone will be disabled, dismembered, and put to death. And in verse 8 we read, Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem and had taken it and smitten it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Judah took Jerusalem because God gave it to him. And 
this is much more than just a chronological reference to a repeated battle that we saw in our study of Joshua chapter 10. This is mentioned again to remind us that another false Christ, this one named Adonai Zedek, the other one Adonai Bezek, and his name means the Lord of Righteousness. He, he also had been destroyed by the Lord God. And what a picture we have in the fact that it was in Jerusalem, the city of peace, where the chosen church of God dwells, that we have another false Christ put to death. All false prophets who transform, them, transform themselves into angels of light, uh, ministers of righteousness, will be obliterated. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, For such are false, Christ, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, don't be surprised by that, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel, messenger of light, illumination, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. And I've heard preachers all my life preach against bars and brothels and all this. And I tell you, uh, they're, they're, uh, the folks that are found in those places are no, no challenge to Satan. It's, it, we need to pray for those standing in pulpits as ministers of righteousness who are lying on God. We need to pray that the Lord would deliver their hearers from their uh, messages. The gospel is our weapon. As we discussed last week, these ministers, so-called ministers of righteousness, are just imposters and counterfeits of the real thing. And so what's our weapon against such? The gospel. We just preach the gospel. It's not carnal, fleshly. Our weapons aren't carnal. They're mighty through God. One day the Lord asked His disciples, He said, who do men say that I am? And they responded. And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist and Elijah. And some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And the Lord asked, I think, one of the most crucial, critical questions ever asked. But whom say ye that I am? That is a question that every preacher ought to ask when they preach. Who do you say that Christ is? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember how the Lord responded? He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Uh, but my Father which is in heaven... So if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, let me ask you a similar question of equal and critical importance. What think ye of Christ? If you agree with Peter and all who know Him, know this also, this great truth, this glorious gospel had to be divinely revealed to you. And it was God that revealed it. Only God can do so. Now, the Lord continued speaking to Peter in that uh, account. And He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock 
I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And though the name Peter means rock, this Peter wasn't the rock that the church was built upon. I've always thought that before I ever really looked into it. But the foundation, the rock upon which the church is built, is the revelation of Jesus of Nazareth being the Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son. That's what, that's what he said to Peter. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, that's what I'm going to build my church upon. It's built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Gospel. We preach a person. And upon this church, the church is built. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's given us the victory. He's given us the victory over our enemies in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 10. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelt in Hebron. And it says now the name of Hebron was before was Kirjathaber, and they slew Shisha and Hyman and Talmud. And it's easy for folks to read these verses and pass right over the blessings of their contents. As you well know from our study long ago in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13, the ten spies returned to give an account to Moses of what they saw in the land of Canaan, and only Joshua and Caleb believed what God had said. And you remember, I, I pictured this in my mind so many times. Caleb, he stood up and he, he preached the gospel, really. He believed the promise of God. And so what is the Holy Spirit teaching us here in, in these verses? Well, He's teaching us that faith without works is dead being alone. You know, one of the biggest fears of Israel were the giants of the sons of Anak. And Caleb is now 85 years old, and he proves and shows us his faith by his works. Children of faith don't claim to believe God and then just sit idle without any action. Some 45 years earlier, Caleb had calmed and stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let's go up at once. Let's go right now. God's given us the land. God's delivered the enemy. What are we waiting on? Let's go. Let's go now. And now 45 years later, Caleb was putting action behind his words of faith. Being of the tribe of Judah, he went against these three giants, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, and he slew them. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Whatever God commands, uh, the whatever commands the Lord gives us, He gives us the power to carry them out. And that's why every child of God desires to show their faith by their works. For as the body without the Spirit, and that word means breath, is dead, so faith without works is dead. You know, I have never seen a dead man that breathed. And I have never seen a man of faith without works. Sinners are not saved by works but their works give evidence that they're saved. <laughs> and these things were written for our learning. Look at verse 11. 
And from thence he went against the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debir before was Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smite, smiteth Kerjath Sefer and taketh it, to him I will give uh, Axal, my daughter, to wife. You remember that story in Je- uh, Joshua. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Ash. Axal, his daughter, to, to wife. And it came to pass when she came to him, that being her husband, Othniel, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted from off her ass. And Caleb said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Remember when we looked at that from our study in Joshua. If you remember the the name Kerjath Sefer means, it means a city of books. It means a, a city of knowledge. It's believed that this was the place where the storehouse of Canaan's doctrines and laws were kept. Uh, kind of like a capital of a, a major city. And Othniel, whose name means the Lion of God, he took the challenge of Caleb, and what a picture he is of Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who destroyed the wisdom of this world, and by his victory took possession of his bride. See, all these things are to teach us of Christ. And again, this is recorded for our learning. This is recorded for our comfort. I find such comfort in these things. My Lord is victorious. Christ was successful in His conquest and He took possession of His bride. And what a picture this is. How comforting to know that our Lord and Savior is always victorious. He doesn't just have a, a winning record. He wins 70% of the time. No, he always wins. He never loses. And he, by his victory over the so-called wisdom of this world, he procured for himself a bride, the church of God. We're of that bride. And all that he does, he does for his bride. In order for Othamiel to have his bride, he must conquer and be successful in his conquest. And Christ did just that. And the bride and the conqueror are wed in eternal and holy matrimony. Christ is forever our heavenly husband. And we are forever his bride. We see the certainty of that in the name of Axal, which means adornment. You know, the names in the Scriptures are amazing when you look into them. The church of Christ is prepared as a bride counted, adorned, excuse me, for her husband. And what a picture of Christ's bride we have in Axel who moved her husband to seek a gift of her father. (laughs) How did she come to her father? She came through a mediator. She came through her husband. He was touched by her feelings. He loved her. How beautiful is the picture that whatsoever we shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, our heavenly husband, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, uh, will mediate to God our Father 
and on our behalf, and he'll give it to us. He's faithful of that promise. Okay, verse 16. And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad, or Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephath, and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ascalon, and with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. Now, those are just accounts of the additional victories of Judah and uh, where they're recorded. But then in verse 19, Judah ceases to be a type of Christ and becomes a, a type of every individual believer. And I, I hope to show you how. You know, at our best state, we're just full of unbelief. Mm-hmm. It ought not be so, but it's true nonetheless. And I think of that poor father that came to the Lord and he said, can, dost thou, can, can you believe? And he said, oh Lord, I, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Help my unbelief. That's a constant prayer of mine. Lord, I do believe, <laughs> but help thou my unbelief. It seems to be so prevalent. Verse 19, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of arms. Now, it tells us here that the Lord was with them, the Lord was with Judah, but unbelief raised its ugly head as it very often does. Chariots of iron, well, they weren't any problem for the Lord. But they were a problem for Judah. And they're a problem for us. If we act upon the things that we see instead of the God whom we cannot see, we'll never have any personal victory. We have to look to Christ alone. Our, He's our conqueror. He's our Joshua. He's our Judah. Why do we fear the chariots of iron? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers. Paul said nothing present, nothing that may come. No high thing, no low thing. No creature can I liked what uh, Tim James said concerning this. He, he said they were scared of chariots of iron. He said, at the bottom of the Red Sea was full of the remains of twisted iron from the chariots of Egypt belonging to Pharaoh's army. What are chariots of iron against the, the Lord God Almighty? That's a good point. You know, unbelief makes cowards of us all. And when the Lord came to His own country, His own hometown, He taught as one who had authority. So much so that the people that heard Him were astonished. Instead of bowing to Him and worshiping Him, uh, He 
they said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is, is, is not his mother named Mary? Isn't this James and Joseph and Simon and Judas his brothers? And his sisters, well, they're, just, they're sitting right over there in the, the temple. They only saw the Lord with carnal sight. The child of God, we, we, we've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Chariots of iron are no uh, problem for the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor, save or accept in his own country and in his own house. And then it says this, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Nothing more contagious than unbelief. Unbelief breeds more unbelief. In the rest of this chapter, there seems to be just a downward spiral uh, that brought nothing but trouble for Israel. And the cause for this was unbelief. Verse 20 again reminds us of the of the man of faith, Caleb. It says, And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, and Moses, Moses said, and he expelled. That means killed. He killed thence the three sons of Anak. He took care of those three giants that all Israel feared. But then in verse 21, we see the effects of more unbelief. Uh, verse 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem until this day. The Jebusites remain in Jerusalem actually until King David drove them out. And no doubt David's throne pictures the throne of the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the enemies of God that reside in our hearts, and we, we, have, we have them. Uh, they've been defeated. But they will not finally be put away until the King of Kings returns to make His enemies and ours, our enemies too. Our enemies are His and His enemies are ours. Till He makes them His footstool. And then in verse 22, we see another type of unbelief. And let me just say that I've known a lot of folks that uh, give good directions, but don't follow those directions themselves. Uh, I once had a business partner who had a very good business sense, a good mind for business, and he taught me a great deal about how to run a business. But he never practiced personally the things that he taught. And sadly, he died a broke man and a failure. All of his businesses failed. Uh, we've all heard the uh, same practice what you preach. But look at verse 22. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to descry Bethel. And it says now the name of the city uh, bef before was Luce. That's how I believe it's pronounced. And if you remember in the book of Genesis when Jacob 
when the Lord changed Jacob's name, um, the Lord changed the name of this loose to Bethel because it was there that he saw the vision of Christ as the ladder, the only way to heaven. The name Bethel means just that, the house of the Lord. And in verse 24, it says, And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city. And they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we'll show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, and they let go the man and all his family, just like they said they would. And the man went into the land of the Hittites, and built a city and called the name, therefore, Luth. He named it what had been named before, which is the name thereof until this day. Now, what's the lesson here? The tribe of Joseph asked a man for directions, and, he, and then they promised, if, they show, if you show us how to get into the city, no harm will come to you and your family. And he helps them find the entrance to Bethel, uh, undoubtedly, uh, there was no visible entrance, kind of like a secret passage or something. But that name, Luce, uh, you look it up in the concordance, it actually means nut, like a hard shell nut. And uh, it, it means in, in, impenetrable. impenetrable. It, it seems that the city was called this because it had no visible entrance that had to be entered through a secret passage. And our Bethel, the house of the Lord, has only one entrance, an invisible entrance. It's a spiritual entrance. Christ said, I am the door. There's only one way into the house of the Lord. And the Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. There's only one way for God's sheep to get in the house of the Lord. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. This man that gave Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, these directions pictures one who gives another directions to the city of God, but never enters into the city himself. I know some who... Folks that are always encouraging people, oh, you ought to go here and hear the gospel, and you ought to go there and hear the gospel. And never go or attend anywhere themselves. This man, after he told the tribe of Joseph where the entrance was and was spared, he went to the land of the Hittites. And he built a city and he named it Luz, which was the name of the city of Bethel before. Uh, it was changed. And he named his city loose, impenetrable, because he could not let go of what once was. And like a signpost to the city of refuge that pointed others to a place of safety, the house of the Lord, he never himself entered in. How many there are today who still embrace the doctrines of the old covenant uh, as a rule of life and will not enter into Christ? the city of refuge, the house of the Lord. They are bent on doing a work of righteousness themselves that God will never accept because it has to be perfect to be accepted. And we should never be satisfied with knowing only 
where the door is and directing others where it is while we ourselves never enter in. So may we learn from this chapter that unbelief begins a course that we should all learn from. And that's why these things were written aforetime for our learning. Now in closing, I, I would have you to notice that the word neither begins five different sentences here that reminds us of the failures of unbelief. Look at verse 27. Remember a moment ago I said that uh, unbelief's contagious? Verse 27, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Taanach and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of uh, Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo, in her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. And neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalah, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. And neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor of Akzib, nor of Helbah, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. And neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethanoth, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Bethanath became tributaries unto them. Now we see from these verses that Israel didn't drive out these enemies. They simply made them pay tribute. Uh, they said, okay, well you can stay here, but you're going to have to pay us. You're going to you're gonna have to give us some money. <laughs> and we see that verse, we saw it there in verse 28, verse 30, and verse 33. Israel became rich with the world's goods, but in the end... They themselves were led into captivity. And that's why we're not to love this world nor the things of this world. The Lord said, don't set your affection on the things of this world. Things in this world, they're, they're going to rust. They're going to corrupt. Thieves are going to break into them. Set your affection on things above. It, where they, they won't corrupt and they won't rust and they can't be stolen. Is, yeah. Look at verse 34. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer or allow them to come down to the valley. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shalabim, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up to Akrabim and from the rock and upward. 
what a mess unbelief causes. With whom was the Lord grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Was it not with them whom God swore would not enter into His rest? To them who believed not. Was it not to them that could not enter in because of unbelief? Friends, these things were written aforetime for our learning that we, you and I, through patience, endurance, and comfort of the Scriptures might find hope. What is the hope that we find in the Word of God? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And these things were written to comfort us in Christ that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. May God be pleased to bless the preaching of His Word and may we see Christ high and lifted up. That's my prayer for you and for me. May God be pleased to make it so. Okay, Miss Shelley, let's, uh, let's sing a closing hymn together.